understanding the foundational structure of government is important. Our rights don't come from the government, they come from God. Government is put in place to be able to protect those rights. So to be able to have citizens who will take over the reins for us to make sure they understand those foundational principles are just really important. you as a mom of four, I love to see your kids out with you. I love that you, the governor brings your son and daughter places. We love it. Can I tell you a really funny story very quickly about, so the governor does take Mason, this has happened with Mason. So uh, Mason was doing a, a three-stop tour with the governor. So he was going, um, I forget where it was, but they ended up, I think the last stop was in the Panhandle in Pensacola, and poor Mason was so tired at the end of this press conference that he was standing by the podium, and Mason literally fell asleep on the ground next to him during the press conference. With a, so he had to scoop him up, throw him over his shoulder, and go back, which was honestly kind of cute. But one, I'm my, always one of my favorite moments with your husband at all of the press conferences is when Erin Grawl is speaking about the Parents' Bill of Rights, and she has Sebastian, her baby, who you heard from Erin this morning as a one-year-old. He was a newborn, and Erin's holding him, and there's a picture that somebody snapped of your husband standing behind Erin while she's speaking, making faces at the baby and waving at the baby, and I was like, that's a good that's dad. A dad. That's, that's a dad. A dad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You so, just have to do it. You know, you, you, like, you know there's going to be repercussions in the form of memes, but it's worth it because you're, you're a parent. We're thankful to have parents in the governor's mansion in Florida. So can you tell us a little bit more about the education yeah. agenda? I'd love to hear more about yeah, yeah. it. And I can tie it into how, you know, we're trying to do this with the mom sphere. So I think the governor, as you well know, and he talked about today, just that what we can do to try to put uh, parents first. So you look at something like transparency in education. That's a big deal. When I go around and I talk to mamas across the state, they want to know what's being taught in their classroom. And what they've done with the transparency is you can now ask your school, your school board, to show you exactly the curriculum and the library books that are there. If they're not providing that to you, you have a right of action in the form of holding them accountable, letting the State Board of Education know, or the uh, Department of Education rather know. Uh, but then also they can be held accountable if they're not being transparent in what our children are learning, uh, because the principal can actually have their certificate, their teaching certificate removed. So the transparency really is important. I'm sure he talked a lot about the civics education. That is so important for something like our kids and kids. They're the ones who are going to inherit the republic. So understand the foundational structure of government is important. Our rights don't come from the government, they come from God. Government is put in place to be able to protect those rights. So to be able to have citizens who will take over the reins for us to make sure they understand those foundational principles are just really important. Uh, you know, we talk about uh, just the importance, I've done a lot with mental and emotional well-being. Um, that is important in the sense that we're teaching resilience. We're teaching kids about problem-solving skills, critical thinking skills, resiliency. We're trying to empower kids to learn to persevere through difficult times. And I think that's a unique way that we're taking on mental health in the schools because resiliency is the way we're reframing it. There's a lot of stigma around mental health, but resilient and learning to uh, have those characters to persevere through difficult times because we know, uh, you know, no one is immune from difficulties and hardships in life, so it's learning how to get through those, uh, those, those tough times. 
Um, so those are some of the, the big ones. I know I'm missing a lot. I know the school boards were doing a lot. Yeah, I love to talk to you about school boards. So I served as a school board member for four years in Indian River. Tina Deskovich, the co-founder, served in Brevard County. Um, we have a lot of people running for school board in here. I know Tina had people stand up before they're running for school board. It'll blow you away how many people are running for school board in this room. Um, so tell us, why was it really important for the governor to endorse school board candidates this yeah, year? Yeah, you know, somebody, somebody was talking about it being political. It's not about political, it's about principle. Yeah. Getting involved and helping good people get to a point where they can have leadership skills. And why I think it's so important, I think COVID really, as a lot of people you will attest to, peeled back the layer of the onion on what was going on in a lot of schools. Not all schools, let me just say this, there's some great, phenomenal teachers across the state. There's some great faculty members, there's some great principals. And then there's some folks that are doing things that we would deem as inappropriate, right? So I think parents were peering into the classroom during COVID and they saw a lot of this stuff and they said, you know what, this isn't gonna fly on my watch. But you know, for the first time, like you see people say, I'm gonna do something about this. And so it's hard to be able to run a race, especially if you've never done this before, right? There's a lot to it. Learning which doors you need to knock on, learning what your messaging is gonna be, being able to afford to put a message on the air. But you know what, the governor, by the way, greatest governor in America, can we just say that? Yeah. Um, so you have somebody like that who puts his weight behind good people. Allie, I think you're here somewhere. Hey, girlfriend. There she is. <laughs> Putting their, their, his strength behind them helps get the name ID and helps do the things necessary to be able to put somebody across the finish line because you, that's really what it becomes, a name recognition game for a lot of folks because there's no the political affiliation. Sometimes you don't know who you're voting for. It's hard to be able to find where their principles are, but you know if that is a DeSantis-backed candidate, there are nine things that that individual believes in that align with both with the governor and I have to say on education. Uh, and, and that I think is a really helpful thing to help educate voters across the state to be able to support really good people who are running for the right reasons, which is the right way to do it. It's not about being somebody, as the governor always says, and that's, that's who he is. It's about doing good things on behalf of the folks. Wonderful. So I know we've talked about education. We've talked about children and families. Are there some other initiatives that you're working on as First Lady that you'd like to share with us? Today? So the press conference with the Sharpie earlier today, <laughs> which was enjoyable. That was, uh, so I launched something that I think is, is, I'm actually very passionate about. It's called Hope Florida, Pathway to Prosperity, Economic Self-Sufficiency and Hope. Uh, and basically what that is, is it's getting all sectors of the community together to work together on behalf of the individual. So what do I mean by that? I'm, I'm a Reaganite. I don't believe that you know, I'm from the government and I'm here to help, right? You should just say, wait a minute. What we've done with this is we're trying to help single moms, trying to help women addicted to drugs, kids aiding out, out of the foster care system, foster parents, adoptive parents. How do we best meet their needs in the infancy while helping them get on a path to prosperity, economic self-sufficiency, home ownership, the American dream? How do we do that? So we've created within the Department of Children and Families something called Hope Navigators or Care Navigators. And what they are are people who have a really robust Rolodex in front of them. By the way, I use the term Rolodex, and, and it's when you say that to young kids, they look at you like you. I feel crazy. old. Yeah. Like, it's a, like isn't that crazy? Like it's a Rolodex. Anyway, talk to Surrey, okay? Anyway, when you have this robust Rolodex, it's all the sectors of society coming together. Meaning, 
At one point in time, you had the nonprofits going this way. You had the faith and community-based organizations going down here. You had the private sector over here. You had government over here. Never too, they're all doing wonderful things, right? The faith-based community, 16.5 million people across the state of Florida are people of faith in some capacity. They're over here doing great things. But how do we get everybody to communicate on behalf of the individual? And so that's where the care navigators come in. They have this robust Rolodex of these people at their disposal to be able to help guide them through immediate needs and then ultimately to a path to prosperity by partnering with the private sector. And some of these folks have come on board to say, you know what, I understand that this single mom here can't traditionally work a nine to five, but you know what, she can work a nine to three and at three o'clock she has to pick up her kids, but she's gonna work 10 times harder when she gets back the next day. So understanding how we can be flexible with the private sector. The neat thing about the faith-based organizations and the community organizations is they've signed up to be a part of something we call the care portal. The care portal basically is a uh, instantaneous way of meeting needs for those in need. So let's say there's a single mom and she is working with a care navigator who has this Rolodex and she hears that this single mom doesn't have uh, the, uh, the availability to be able to put food on the table for her kids, or she's having a really tough time because the, she doesn't have enough beds or the, or the beds are falling apart or she needs bunk beds, we can input instantaneously into this care portal system that immediate need and the faith and community-based organizations across the state see that in real time and they can deliver the bunk beds or whatever it's needed right to that front door using that robust Rolodex. So there might be a nonprofit that's doing that. It's just plug and play with pre-existing resources and people who are doing good things. But you know, not only is that meeting needs for those in need, it is also, man, what a sign of love that is to have somebody from the community show up at your front doorstep, knock on the door with a plate of lasagna. That, that just changes your whole demeanor and outlook. And so we're really proud that we've built this out. Another thing that's neat about it with these care navigators is when a CPI or a child protective investigator goes out to a home for some sort of unfortunate allegation, they don't find any cause to remove or to take any further action on their, their part. But there might be a need there. There might be something that they see that they want to do. Well, now our care navigators are available to those folks. And those navigators, again, can t tap into the faith and community-based organizations. So, you know, one of the things our secretary said today, some folks just need a respite. So the faith and community-based organizations can come on and provide that. Some people need help with transportation. The, the nonprofits, the private sector can come on and meet those needs. So it's a really neat way of taking all the great stuff that people were doing as they were kind of going down their own roads, getting everybody into the same room to work together on behalf of the individual to get them to an ultimate path of economic self-sufficiency. That's wonderful. It's wonderful to hear. So earlier this morning, we presented uh, your husband, Governor Ron DeSantis, with uh, a sword. Uh, it's a liberty sword. That's a really great thing with a five-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old. <laughs> But it's cool. made of wood. We had it custom made. It's pretty neat. Um, we'd love to see a picture with the kids. They're going to love it. I'm telling you right now. But um, I why? can only imagine where this is going. <laughs> why do you think he fights so hard? I mean, there was a passion in him when we were going through all of this. Parents all over the country, Casey, would watch him speaking in Florida. And I said to him, we had moms that said, God, I wish... Ron DeSantis was our governor. Moms who would vote a Democrat their whole lives, right? But his passion and his fight for the American people and for Floridians has just been 
Really remarkable. Why do you, where does that come from? I, I think, well, you have to ask him specifically. I, I never speak for him. But he fights, I think, for the same reason why I fight so hard. Because in my opinion, he's the embodiment of the American dream. And he wants to provide to his children and to the children of Florida everything that he has been the beneficiary of being in America. If you think about his story, I mean, honestly, he came from really humble beginnings. He didn't have a lot of disposable income to do very much, but he was a good guy who loved baseball and grew up and, and played and worked hard in school. And that opened opportunities for him to be able to go to Yale and Harvard Law. Uh, and again, he, no, he didn't have a silver spoon. He didn't have a family name. I mean, I think his family still live in an 1800 square foot house that he grew up in. I mean, he wasn't given anything, but he was a hard worker and he played baseball. And that provided an opportunity for him to get through those two institutions. Came out more conservative on the other side. You know, everyone wonders about that, but he did. <laughs> and then here's a guy that you have a degree from Yale and Harvard. What, what do you do with that? You could go out and you could make a nice paycheck. You could be getting six and seven figures. But he decided to serve his country in the United States military because it was the right thing to do, because he wanted to give back to the country that gave him that opportunity. And so from there, you know, he went on and uh, was deployed uh, to Iraq. He was also in Guantanamo Bay, as he likes to say. He was an officer, not a detainee. <laughs> deployed to Iraq and was part of a Navy SEAL Team command staff, SEAL Team 1, I think it was, and he was a JAG officer. And, you know, he saw firsthand, you know, people who were serving, uh, putting their lives on the line on behalf of America and what does it means to be an American. And he ended up getting the Bronze Star for meritorious service with the Navy SEALs uh, because of his commitment and everything that he did to support those, those guys on the ground. Um, after that, you know, he's got a really great resume. He could have done a lot of things. Again, he could have gone out into the private sector. He could have made a lot of money, but he decided that he wanted to continue to serve. Uh, by, by running for Congress. He went up and he ran, I think it was a seven-way primary and won by more than 40% 40, 40 of the vote, I think it was. And uh, he had the opportunity to go up there. I think he hit his head up against the wall a little bit when you become 435 and you're trying to get things actually done. That's why I'm personally a big proponent of term limits for members of Congress in Washington. <laughs> But it was about serving. And it was, again, it's always been that ethos of giving back and serving and understanding that we live in an exceptional, great nation that gives this guy who had nothing, who just started out playing ball in Dunedin, Florida, not too far from here, the opportunity, <laughs> the opportunity to be the governor of the third largest state in the nation and the 13th largest economy in the world. Only in America does that happen. That's his story. And so I think when you look at it, we want to protect those opportunities for kids to live up to their God-given potential uh, in, the, in society. And way to do, and the way that we want to do it is to fight for them in every opportunity that we can. So if you'd like to learn more about Governor DeSantis' education agenda, just search DeSantis Education Agenda. I think that's actually the name of the website, but I don't have it written down. So just do a search, look for his education agenda, send it, with, send it out to your friends if you live in Florida. If you don't live in Florida, look at it and send it to your governor and say, we'd like for you to be doing this here. Take some notes. Um, Casey? Thank you so much for joining she, us. You want to say wanted, hi? She wanted to say, you want to say hi? Okay, yeah. go ahead. Okay. Just hey. say, say thank you to everybody who's working so hard on behalf of Floridians. Thank you. That's it. Thank you.
God bless you. Keep up the good work. Thank you.